to Fast Asleep with Gina Marie. Hello, everybody. I'm Gina. Marie is busy working on one of our projects. Oh, we are always working on something for you. That's why I'm so glad you've joined us today. And are you ready for a great classic story? All right, I know I say this often, but this week's story is really so good. It only makes sense that I appreciate the stories. I'm usually the one to pick them out for you. But as I sit here listening to the rain, I realize that it's been a long while since we've tapped into today's author. He's Hector Hugh Monroe. Oh, you may know him by his pen name, Saki, S-A-K-I, or H.H. Monroe. Oh, he's another one that scholars consider a master of the short story. Oh, and he is. His works are funny and always right on the mark. There is a story, we haven't done it yet, about a cat that is taught to speak English and then won't shut up. We've got to do it in the future. Um, Some of his stories are very, very dark. Today's, not especially, but you can bet you'll hear one of those in the future on Fast Asleep with Gina Marie. And why wouldn't his work be dark? Think about this. His mother was killed by a cow when he was just two years old. He was born in British Burma in 1870, the son of the Inspector General for the Indian Imperial Police. His mother, before she died, was a novelist. She had a pen name, just like he did. Hers was Dornford Yates. Well, after his mother died, he was sent along with his siblings to England to be raised in the very strict, puritanical house of his grandmother. In his 20s, Mr. Monroe was able to begin a writing career as a journalist in London. He worked for many newspapers there, and before age 30, he was writing short stories. Yes. But here we go. He's another very successful author who died too young. Here's how it goes. World War II begins. I know, they didn't call it, sorry, it was World War I, and they didn't call it World War anything at the time, I know. And Monroe joined the British service at the age of 43, far too old to be joining as an ordinary trooper, but that's what he joined as. He was later promoted to Lance Sergeant, but the man kept returning to the battlefield over and over again when he was often far too sick or far too injured to be doing so. While he crouched uncomfortably in a shell crater somewhere in France, he was killed by a German sniper. Oh, and listen to this. His last words and this has been confirmed by more than one source, his last words were, put that bloody cigarette out. Wow. I guess smoking does kill. It certainly did him. 
Saki stories have been dramatized many, many times in radio, television, and theatrical productions. It seems that everyone wants a piece of his talent, and it's understandable. What do you say? Let's get some of it right now for ourselves. Tuck in, everybody. From Saki, or H. H. Monroe. Here is the mouse. Theodoric Voller had been brought up from infancy to the confines of middle age by a fond mother whose chief solicitude had been to keep him screened from what she called the coarser realities of life. When she died, she left Theodoric alone in a world that was as real as ever and a good deal coarser than he considered it had any need to be. To a man of his temperament and upbringing, even a simple railway journey was crammed with petty annoyances and minor discords and... As he settled himself down in a second-class compartment one September morning, he was conscious of ruffled feelings and general mental discomposure. He had been staying at a country vicarage, the inmates of which had been certainly neither brutal nor bacchanalian, meaning involving drunken revelry. No, but their supervision of the domestic establishment had been of that lax order which invites disaster. The pony carriage that was to take him to the station had never been properly ordered and when the moment for his departure drew near, the handyman, who should have produced the required article, was nowhere to be found. In this emergency, Theodoric, to his mute but very intense disgust, found himself obliged to collaborate with the vicar's daughter in the task of harnessing the pony, which necessitated groping about in an ill-lighted outbuilding called a stable. Oh, and smelling very like one, except in patches where it smelled of mice. Without being 
actually afraid of mice, Theodoric classed them among the coarser incidents of life and considered that Providence, with a little exercise of moral courage, might long ago have recognized that they were not indispensable and have withdrawn them from circulation. As the train glided out of the station, Theodoric's nervous imagination accused himself of exhaling a weak odor of stable yard and possibly of displaying a moldy straw or two on his usually well-brushed garments. Fortunately, the only other occupation of the compartment, a lady of about the same age as himself, seemed inclined for slumber rather than scrutiny. The train was not due to stop till the terminus was reached in about an hour's time, and the carriage was of the old-fashioned sort that held no communication with a corridor, therefore no further traveling companions were likely to intrude on Theodoric's semi-privacy. And yet the train had scarcely attained its normal speed before he became reluctantly but vividly aware that he was not alone with the slumbering lady. He was not even alone in his own clothes. A warm, creeping movement over his flesh betrayed the unwelcome and highly resented presence unseen but poignant of a strayed mouse that had evidently dashed into its present retreat during the episode of the pony harnessing. Furtive stamps and shakes and wildly directed pinches failed to dislodge the intruder, whose motto, indeed, seemed to be excelsior, meaning always upward, and the lawful occupant of the clothes lay back against the cushions and endeavored rapidly to evolve some means for putting an end to the dual ownership. It was unthinkable that he should continue for the space of a whole hour in the horrible position of a Routon house, one of a chain of London hostels for vagrant mice. Already his imagination had at least doubled the numbers of the 
alien invasion. On the other hand, nothing less drastic than partial disrobing would ease him of his tormentor. Oh, and to undress in the presence of a lady, even for so laudable a purpose, was an idea that made his ear tips tingle in a blush of abject shame. He had never been able to bring himself even to the mild exposure of open-work socks in the presence of the fair sex. And yet, hmm, the lady in this case was, to all appearances, soundly and securely asleep. The mouse, on the other hand, seemed to be trying to crowd a wanderjar that's a year spent traveling abroad, into a few strenuous minutes. If there is any truth in the theory of transmigration, this particular mouse must certainly have been, in a former state, a member of the Alpine Club. Sometimes, in its eagerness, it lost its footing and slipped for half an inch or so. And then, in fright, or more probably temper, it bit. Theodoric was goaded into the most audacious undertaking of his life. Crimsoning to the hue of a beetroot and keeping an agonized watch on his slumbering fellow traveler, swiftly and noiselessly secured the ends of his railway rug to the racks on either side of the carriage so that a substantial curtain hung athwart the compartment. In the narrow dressing room that he had thus improvised, he proceeded with violent haste to extricate himself partially and the mouse entirely from the surrounding casings of tweed and half wool. As the unraveled mouse gave a wild leap to the floor, the rug, slipping its fastenings at either end, also came down with a heart curdling flop and almost simultaneously the awakened sleeper opened her eyes with a movement almost quicker than the mouse's theodoric pounced on the rug and hauled its ample folds chin high over his dismantled person as he collapsed into the farther corner of the carriage. The blood raced and beat in the veins of his neck and forehead while he waited dumbly for the communication cord to be pulled. The lady, however, contented herself with a silent stare 
at her strangely muffled companion. How much had she seen? Stay with us. We'll be right back. The blood raced and beat in the veins of his neck and forehead while he waited dumbly for the communication cord to be pulled. The lady, however, contented herself with a silent stare at her strangely muffled companion. How much had she seen? Theodoric queried to himself. And, in any case, what on earth must she think of his present posture. I... I think I've caught a chill, he ventured desperately. Oh, really? Oh, I'm sorry, she replied. I was just going to ask you if you would open this window. Oh, I... I fancy it's malaria, he added his teeth chattering slightly, as much from fright as from a desire to support his theory. Well, I, I've got some brandy in my hold-all, if you'll kindly reach it down for me, said his companion. Mm, not, not for worlds. Oh, I mean, I, I never take anything for it, he assured her earnestly. Oh, mm, I... I suppose you caught it in the tropics, Theodoric, whose acquaintance with the tropics was limited to an annual present of a chest of tea from an uncle in Ceylon. Felt that hmm, even the uh, malaria was slipping from him. Would it be possible, he wondered, to disclose the real state of affairs to her in small installments. Uh, are you uh, afraid of mice? He ventured, growing, if possible, more scarlet in the face. Oh, not unless they came in quantities. Why, do you ask? Well, I, uh had one crawling inside my clothes just now, said Theodoric, in a voice that hardly seemed his own. It was a most awkward situation. Oh, it must have been if you wear your clothes at all tight, she observed. But mice, oh, have strange ideas 
ideas of comfort. I had to get rid of it while you were asleep, he continued. Then, with a gulp, he added, Yeah, it was the getting rid of it that brought me uh, to to this. <laughs> well, surely leaving off one small mouse wouldn't bring on a chill, she exclaimed, with a levity that Theodoric accounted abominable. Evidently, she had detected something of his predicament and was enjoying his confusion. All the blood in his body seemed to have mobilized in one concentrated blush, and an agony of abasement, worse than a myriad of mice, crept up and down over his soul. And then, as a reflection began to assert itself, sheer terror took the place of humiliation. With every minute that passed, the train was rushing nearer to the crowded and bustling terminus, where dozens of prying eyes would be exchanged for the one paralyzing pair that watched him from the farther corner of the carriage. Well, there was one slender, despairing chance, which the next few minutes must decide. His fellow traveler might relapse into a blessed slumber. But as the minutes throbbed by, that chance ebbed away. The furtive glance which Theodoric stole at her from time to time disclosed only an unwinking wakefulness. I think we must be getting near now, she presently observed. Theodoric had already noted with growing terror the recurring stacks of small, ugly dwellings that heralded the journey's end. The words acted as a signal. Like a hunted beast breaking cover and dashing madly toward some other haven of momentary safety, he threw aside his rug and struggled frantically into his disheveled garments. He was conscious of dull suburban stations racing past the window, of a choking hammering sensation in his throat and heart, and of an icy silence in that corner toward which he dared not look. Then, as he sank back in his seat, clothed and almost delirious, the train slowed down to a final crawl, and the woman spoke. Would you, 
be so kind, she asked, as to get me a porter, to put me into a cab. Oh, it's a shame to trouble you when you're feeling unwell, but... Being blind makes one so helpless at a railway station. introduction information for this episode is from Saki, My Hero by Naomi Alderman for The Guardian. Music for this episode is List Six Consolations performed by George Lee Trees Done by Oscar Schuster and The Hourglass by Ben Crosland. Remember, you can reach me at fastasleepwithginamarie44 at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Thank you so much for keeping us here for you with your comments, your likes, and by subscribing. Thank you for listening. Keyword. Exposure. Good night.